telling us this is the new normal. And I gotta be quite frank, we're pretty scared about that. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's all I got right now. Great, thank you. Absolutely uh, devastating. It's really hard to, to hear that. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to um, uh, Mayor Jan Polderman now, uh, Mayor Litton, uh, Litton, pardon me, uh, to hear uh, if you can introduce yourself and, and let us know um, where things stand now, what your experience is on, on the ground. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jan Polderman, and uh, I'm from the traditional territories of the Clapmu uh, nations in Lip. Uh, our experience last summer started in early June with the George Road fire, and it burned for a few weeks. And we hit a record uh, heat spell where um, we hit 49.6 degrees, um, and uh, it cooled off uh, the next day to about 41. We had a nice, nice, uh, strong wind blowing when a fire started on the south side of town. Um, I drove through town when it was just a, how do you say that, a small plume of smoke. But being on the south side, I was concerned about it and was making phone calls. And within, uh, I, I don't, I had, I issued an evacuation order within 45 minutes. But the first 45 minutes was pandemonium because you're hearing different reports from different people. Um, even though I issued an evacuation uh, order, uh, most of the residents uh, never heard it because they were already packing up and leaving. Um, the fire report that we received said that, that the fire traveled about 1.3 kilometers in about 30 minutes. Um, it spread on four different paths through town. And it, uh, you know, basically it, it started some houses on fire, started the bushes and trees on fire. And, um, you know, as the houses burnt, they basically, you know, put off embers and started the next places on fire. So, you know, during that first, you know, hour of the fire, the next thing was, um, you know, our EOC center was located in Kamloops. And, uh, you know, of course, there's always a bit of confusion at the beginning. Um, we got that straightened out, you know, very quickly. So the, the next thing was that, uh, you know, to get our, emergency manuals too late they're gone you know uh, what we found is is that the residents they went to Lillooet to Cash Creek to Ashcroft and down to Hope so one of the things I would uh, you know that I found very difficult in this situation are the privacy rules the Red Cross can phone people EMBC can uh, phone people, but they won't. They won't give you contact numbers. And so, the very first thing, 
you know, an emergency team that is working for your town or village city needs to do is to um, basically keep a good track of all the contact numbers. Um, when, you know, when, when one of these emergency hits, you may have an, a, you know, a team of people in place to handle your EOC chores. But if you have a uh, um, an emergency, the scale of ours, the people that are supposed to be manning the emergency uh, center and you know providing your emergency services in town, they're running as well. So what you know what my suggestion is is that you know. Um, is that we have uh, like a four-man EOC team that would um, consist of a recovery director, a finance person, donations person, and a communications person that's sitting somewhere that's ready to go at a moment's notice to take over for any town um, in the province until such time as your community can take over um it, it'll get you off on the right sort of footing it'll put you know they'll know the system because i i believe that you know a big problem to start off with is is knowing how to navigate the emergency systems and all the acronyms and um and you know the the different people involved what you know the, the on june 30th you know we talk about the Litton fire but the same day the, the, McCree, uh, the mckay creek fire started the next day there was a count there was a fire on uh, near Catholics. i believe it was on the east side and the day after that there was another one the day after that there was another one it, um you know just a sheer scope of and size and number of you know emergencies that were going on i believe really stretched our emergency services um, one of the things our residents had to do was they have to register for ess and the first time they register it's a three-day process they you know they they get to register for uh, you know for hotel rooms and food for three days well, you, you're just sort of working with your residents. You just get them into the hotel rooms, and then you're back in it. You're back at it again. You know, re-registering them. You know, in our case, it would have been very helpful if um, someone had made a decision on day one. Yeah, you know, that they could have registered for a week, um, so that this re-registering and dealing with all your residents and dealing with the emergency services, um, you had a little more time to, to sort of deal with them. Um, the, you know, when we talk about uh, fires, um, you, know, um, you know, the fires that were in the Fraser Canyon, uh, like the Mohawkum fire, I believe that visited uh, Merritt. So it ran right across from Highway 1 in the canyon. It went right across to Merritt. 
Uh, I know it shut the Coquihalla down for a day or two. Um, you know, as well, uh, the George Road fire, it sort of went towards, uh, you know, north of Linton. Uh, it basically burnt all the way to a new gold mine uh, near Kamloops. You know, you know, during my lifetime, I have never seen um, devastation on that, on uh, you know, or fire on that scale and for that length of time. Then, you know, we on uh, you know just just like uh, Princeton on the 14th of November, uh, you know, we were hit with rain, uh, you know big rainstorm and it washed out uh, the number one highway both south of town north of town and for a day and a half it shut down highway 12 as well so we were basically isolated um highway one uh was finally reopened on the 27th of january um highway 12 was opened after a couple of days but um you know, people use Highway 1 either to go to Chilliwack or Kamloops for the most part. Um, the size, you know, the size of the washout on the top of Jackass and down on the railway, you know, um, well, on the highway, they're still working on it. And I got um, emails from CN to say that they had 400 men working or men and women working to fix the railway down at the bottom and it took them a little over a month and the, the railways are mobilized to handle a lot of these emergencies phenomenal the amount of equipment they can move into an area in very short order uh, trucks were coming uh, within a few days were coming from Calgary uh, you know, to, to, to fix the roads. And then, uh, uh, you know, the other, the other um, complication, of course, is, is where both the, uh, I'd say that sort of, um, like the villages under provincial uh, jurisdiction and all the surrounding areas uh, are under federal jurisdiction. And so, um, the federal government was a lot quicker to provide funds than the provincial government was. And of course, now you get, you know, people saying, how come you're not doing anything? Um, one of the things that I know is, is that uh, in the first week of October, uh, we had got our first uh, bill from, uh, you know, for the fire, it was about 1.2 million. And that basically took care of the reserves that Linton had. So we were no longer calling the shots. So, you know, that's difficult as well. So, uh, you know, that that is, um, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, that recently, um, we have now, we're considered a heritage site, so every property in town needs to get a heritage permit. Um, there needs to be monitoring going on during the time when we actually dig into the ground. 
nobody's insurance actually covers that and the other issue that you know took a long time to deal with was the fact that our debris is considered toxic and as a result the cost of roof cleanup increases about 400 percent and the complexity of the cleanup cleanup also increases as depending on what type of toxicity you have um, the debris needs to be taken to three different sites so uh, you know I'm, I was very happy with the announcement that the provincial gov- government uh, last week had come up with a solution to the heritage permitting costs and to the uh, costs of removing the toxic debris so we're now finally after eight months of starting you know just we're just starting you know the cleanup and it's been hard on the residents i can imagine it's just uh it's really hard even just uh listening uh you can see uh in, in your voice and in your your how you're moving how much this is impacting your community um I'm going to go back to Mayor Coyne for a moment, and, and, and we heard from Mayor Polderman about a few of the lessons learned so far, and I know it's not, uh, we're not past the, the events really, it's, it's still an ongoing situation, but um, I'm wondering if you can share with us what, what things you have learned so far, and, and then just sort of let us know where things stand in your community at the moment. Yeah, so just listening to it, yeah, there's there's a lot of similarities, especially when it comes to the response part. Um, unlike fires, there's no provincial response team uh, when it comes to flooding. So when you have a fire, you know, BC Wildfire comes out and they, and they go to work. There's nobody that does that for flooding. And it's a lot more complicated because dealing with waterways so you're dealing with fisheries you're dealing with uh, dfo in some places you're dealing with ministry environment flinro you know you name it and then every branch of flinro seems to be involved in one way or another none of those guys talk to each other um and the scale of what happened in november with the the roads um you know, you throw in the complexity of, of Ministry of Transportation and then their, their contracting system where they have all these contractors. So Merritt's in a different contracting area than Princeton. Um, Manning Park is in a different contracting area than Princeton. You know, and, and there's no continuity because they can't overlap on contracts and everything else. So we're trying to keep roads open to keep supply lines running. And we were fortunate enough to be able to keep the road between Merritt and Princeton open, but at one point there was no going east and there was no going west and we could go to Merritt but Merritt couldn't really get anywhere so there wasn't a whole heck of a point of having that road open so um you know it's just uh that that was frustrating as as you can imagine um and then moving forward the same thing um we have our own ESS team on, so we didn't use the Red Cross um so we were fortunate there but when the province transitioned they told all of our ESS teams to stand down and they transferred all of our evacuees over to the Red Cross. Um, that has been a nightmare. We no longer have contact with our with our That's evacuees. Nice. We do not have adequate sharing um, of information 
uh, contracts in place or agreements in place. Um, so once we handed those over, and we had to, there, there wasn't an option there. The province was cutting off our ESS services and uh, Red Cross was going to put them up in lodging. We lost all contact and trying to get that contact back from them has been a nightmare. I met just uh, last week or week before I met with the the vice president of uh, the Red Cross and the BC Yukon. I believe he's actually the guy who runs it. Um, And they said, yeah, we'll we'll work on that. But there's still nothing. So we've had countless people fall through the cracks. We have about 300 evacuees. Um, We've allowed a few of them to go home at this point, but not very many. Um, We only have 37... I think it's around 37 on the last count uh, of our evacuees in lodging through the Red Cross. So somewhere in there, we've lost, say, 250-plus evacuees that are no longer in the system receiving assistance. So they're on their own somewhere, trying to figure this out on their, uh, without any supports. And um, we can't get those stats. We can't find out who those people are. And that has been so frustrating for us because those are our, as you can imagine, those are our residents. And I can't phone them. I can't see how they are. I can't even know where they are because we don't know who they are in the first place to even call them. So um, that's been super, super frustrating for us. Uh, Yeah. um, Sorry, your question again, Chris. I kind of moved away from that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, um, I think it's very relevant in terms of, of lessons learned and, and then just where things stand in, in Princeton today as well. Yeah, so where we stand right now, um, we're, we're better than we were. Um, and that, that really has to do with my team. The team that we have in, in our from our EOC moving out was a magnificent um, so Sunday night we started flooding. Monday morning we had engineers on the ground. Um, we we worked with True Consulting out of uh, Penticton. They had two engineers on the ground Monday morning. They stayed for a couple of weeks. And when we needed to repair any of our infrastructure that was critical, we were we had engineered plans going forward. Not that seemed to be a problem with the province because the province only wants you to patch things together and and not actually repair things in the moment and uh, we were we were rebuilding our dike um, engineered <laughs> the mine was uh, very helpful with that they, they supplied all the rock they had it tested for free so that we could use that rock and then we used local contractors to bring it down and put it in place and the province was trying to stop us so because they said you have to have it engineered it has to be all up to code and we're like it is <laughs> said how can it be and we're like it is we've done everything we have our engineers in place and uh, if we would have waited for the province we would have flooded again because um, it started raining about three or four days after that and the river came back up and it was over top of the where the breach was so um you know, we just we just did what we needed to do so we're continuing to repair things we still have not received any dfa funding we have approvals on most of our dfa spending um, which is concerning because we've replaced four of our water mains, one sewer main, our dike, and a number of other pieces of infrastructure. So um, 
lessons learned is you kind of got to do what you got to do. Um, the province needs to change the way that they do their job. They need to start working with the municipalities. Right now we have three or four different consulting organizations in the community looking at the river from the headwaters down through to Caramius uh, and Coston, um, from SNLC Lavalin to Pricewaterhouse Coopers, and I forget the last one that I just heard. And they are all telling us what we already know, and we're spending millions of dollars on this, and money. none of that money is actually coming to us. Yeah. And that's <laughs> it's frustrating. We watch helicopters fly over us every day as they're doing all this debris uh, tracking and whatnot, but we know where it is. We know what needs to be done. So um, that's a big one. We need we need the province to change their model. We need the federal government to change the way that they work with the provinces because um, there's, like I said, there's no support really in that department. We've everything we've gotten, we've had to fight for. We had to literally drag members of the uh, of. Preoc down here to be able to and the NBC down here so we could explain to them and show them what we were actually doing and uh, before we got approvals on some things we got turned down on on our most of our emergency spending in the first go around because we didn't use the right wording and uh, when we were patching our water system together with a um, with fire hoses across the uh, bridge they uh, they turned down our 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 emergency funding for that because they said well water is not essential so we're not going to fund that so we had to go back and say it was for fire protection because half of our community did not have fire protection so we had to call it fire protection and then they authorized us to move forward on it and uh, just just things like that are just so frustrating because you know we're just trying to get our communities back up and running and um for all this red tape and bureaucracy, it just, it does us no good. Um, you know, we we talked about dredging the river. We have support from our local Indian band. Um, we talked to the, um, the local biologist and the province didn't even want to speak about dredging to try to get some of that debris that's that new fill and, and through our, through our section of the river out of there until I don't know, I think it took us about a month before they even told us who to contact. So um, since then, we've had engineer reports and that we've, we've changed our planning. But, um, you know, it's it's just frustrating. The amount of amount of logs along the river that are just sitting there waiting for Spring Freshet to come down and, and, and take out our infrastructure again. Um, and Flynnrow says it's all, it's all um, habitat. Anything that's along the river is now habitat. We have one one of our ranchers cleaned off his field, but 14 logging trucks of uh, timber came off of his his field and went into the uh, local mill. That um, if we would have left there, was going to be habitat in his field. So um, there's no rhyme or reason to half the stuff they do. Um, like I said, the we, we've consulted with the uh, with the upper band and and. You know they're they're 100 supportive of what we need to do to get our communities back up and running and and uh, it's the province that seems to be standing in the way of everything that we try to do. Yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, 
you can see and hear a, a lot of resilience from both of you and what you're doing uh, in the face of a lot of it sounds like unnecessary obstacles from the province uh, in particular. Uh, uh, it sounds like, unfortunately. Um, on the note of resilience, though, I, I wonder how you see your communities coming back and, and how you are coming back at, at this point. And I'll uh, turn it over to Mayor Polderman first. Well, it's going to be a long, slow process. Um, I believe the town will be different. And it should be different. Um, we need to plan for the change in the climate, uh, you know, going forward. And that that's problematic as the government, when it... Um, pays for a rebuild it wants to rebuild what was there not what we should be preparing for and so you know that that can be that that that's very frustrating and then um one one other thing that i learned um during the emergency was that um we had about 30 houses in town that were untouched by the fire and about three quarters of the residents were calling up wanting to go home and a quarter and a quarter I never heard from but when you allowed those residents back into their houses um, they they lost their ESS and so some people were still uh, so traumatized that they didn't want to come back and then you had you know a portion of your uh, population that can't wait to get back and you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard spot when you make the when you make the call whether to allow them back or not um so you know the other thing with the village of Linton, you know we all talk about the fire on june the 30th um, I returned to Lytton on the 16th of June, or uh, July, sorry, and the fire trucks were still filling up, fighting the fires in the surrounding area. And on the 14th of August, we were re-evacuated due to another fire that came toward came towards us. So it 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 um, has been difficult. We had residents who were evacuated from Lipton on the 30th, and the next day were evacuated in Kamloops because of the Kamloops fire. And so, you know, they, they were just moving around. It's, it's been very difficult in that respect to uh, talk to your residents. And you often hear the province says, well, what do your residents want? Well, it would be nice. It would be nice if I could actually talk to them, so that I could, you know, provide the feedback to the to the province. So, you know, and uh, what um, you know, really, what this rebuild also uh, um, is going to entail is working together with the surrounding First Nations, and. Um, you know, it's not just the housing, uh, you know, and the services, but it's also the economy. You know, we're, if we're going to build new houses and have people here, they need 
they need to work. have a means to, uh, you know, how do you say that, earn a livelihood. And so, you know, while we're planning the rebuild, we need to sort of plan also to, you know, to rebuild or to have a vision for the economy going forward. Thank you, and and I'll I'll pass it to you, Mayor Coyne. The, the same question: How how do you see uh, what, what's the path forward for Princeton at this point? We're we're trying to build back better. Um, we're looking at all our planning options. Yeah, we just we just got a report back from the engineers, like I said, um, and we're going to have to make some pretty big decisions by the sound of it as to what the future of our community is going to look like um, because that could mean relocation of, of certain neighborhoods um, and these are big conversations we're going to have to have with our communities and we're going to have to have with our well, with our entire region really um, because the, the way things have changed is, is we're not going back to the way it was um, we're going to put people back in their homes and then we're going to hopefully, you know, fix these problems. But, you know, Grand Forks, uh, it's too bad somebody from Grand Forks isn't here. Grand Forks still has not received federal funding for the relocation and buying of those homes that they, they had to buy in Grand Forks. The municipality and the province ended up um, paying for the, that and the feds have, haven't come to the table and they were supposed to. Um, but I mean, overall, I mean, we we were we were lucky in the sense that we had enough people stay in our community that we were able to keep our sense of community alive. Um, we we came together in ways that it wasn't surprising, but it was it was it was at the same time. Um, within days of the flooding, we had volunteers come out and help people clean out their homes, and you know we knew we were going to freeze up and we knew that was coming fast so people an army of volunteers came out they went and helped people clean their stuff out of their houses we told them as a municipality throw it out on the street and we will deal with it from there we can't come on your property but if you put it out on the street we'll we'll get it to the landfill and, and get it sorted for you so we did that and and uh, the entire downtown um, if people wanted their homes cleaned out got them cleaned out and that that created a sense of um, hope, I guess, that we weren't we weren't just going to go away, that people were going to be able to go home at some point. And shortly after that, um, some of the disaster resistance or assistance groups showed up, and they have been a godsend to us. Um, Christian Relief came, uh, the Mennonite Disaster Services showed up, and they're they're ripping people's homes apart they are rebuilding people's homes if you don't have financial means there's means for them to help you pay for those repairs and right now um, I think MDS has about 30 homes they're working on and uh, the Christian financialist uh, team there when they showed up there was a list of 20 houses that they were going to work on and these are these are people that would never have had the means to be able to fix their homes. The banks and the insurance companies have been horrible. Um, our local insurance company um, had a very convenient clause that within 48 hours of a 
um, sewer back up in your house if there was overland flooding you don't get any you're not covered for the anything other than the overland flooding and that means you get ten thousand dollars so that's the insurance payout for the majority of people who were able to get insurance was ten thousand dollars dfa uh or yeah the, the dfa funding um hasn't been approved for the majority of people the only people that have heard from them are the people that have been denied and there are a few people that have been denied and uh and uh, most of it's out of their control um so and then the banks the bank has told people that their homes are worthless now and they can't uh, remortgage them to pay for the repairs on their homes uh so we did have um, mr farnworth here we had him, we were able to get him to look into it um unfortunately the contracts that were signed were pretty much airtight on even though they're not ethical but they they were legal so it's really been a, a community effort in repairing our community and that has kept the spirit alive and, and kept people moving forward so um you know, I like to say we're resilient people here and, and I think it's because of that community spirit that we are resilient because whenever people start feeling really down, somebody comes to their aid and helps pick them up and that's that's been a, a big bonus. Um, but our whole region is going to look different after this. It really is. Um, Tulumine, Tulumine's suffering and, uh, you know, Freshette's coming and I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but you know, with no um, with no diking system anymore, and, and nobody repairing the diking system, um, we know the village is going to flood again if, if water comes up. Um, there's four feet of new um, uh, lake bottom. It looks appears to be in Otter Lake, which is on the other side of the village, and uh, the lake always comes up in the spring and with four feet extra it's it's going to come up even more so the village will be flooded by on both sides and people are out there are really starting to lose some of their hope and uh, as much as they're trying to stay positive it's it's really hard to when you know they point to the regional district that you're not doing anything but it's it's all ministry that needs to come to the table and then help these people and uh, it's not happening and it's not happening very quickly if it is happening so um you know the municipality i think will will come through this i don't know how the region's going to come through it though there's a lot of people losing hope in the in the surrounding areas okay thank you for sharing and, and maybe just to point put a, a finer point on on some of your comments uh mayor blackwell has a question in the chat mayor blackwell if you want to unmute and ask your question I, well, I will just uh, maybe uh, on Mayor Blackwell's behalf uh, is is wondering what what has the how has the province assisted uh, Princeton financially or logistically at this point, Mayor Coyne? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we've been able to get our most of our emergency funding through. Uh, so and we've got a resiliency uh, center. Now that they're funding, we have um, we have a couple of positions in there. We have our relief um, 
a relief manager and a uh, recovery manager that are funded through through the province. Logistically, though, not a lot of help. Um, they've hired some consulting firms to come in and look at the river, but they're not working with us. Um, like, there's nobody here to help us with engineering or anything like that. They they will pay. They pay for everything during the emergency. Anything after that, they stop paying for. And we have to apply for the DFA funding, which is 80 percent. And uh, um, you know, just an idea. Like, we lost our shop. We lost a couple of our buildings and everything. So we have a we have a 40 40 million budget dollar budget this year on a three million dollar taxation. We're really hoping that the province comes through on some of that funding because uh, that's just the that's just the surface of it um the frost is coming out of the ground now and uh our roads are in the affected areas are um, they're, they're looking pretty bad they're looking bad and the infrastructure underneath them is bad and we've had a number of water breaks and and whatnot and we're our guys are out preparing stuff just about daily just patching stuff back together and um we're just hoping that the funding comes through because we don't know how long financially we can continue at the rate we're going. I hope that answers your question, Lillian. And then I see there's a, a, a question from Councillor John Manuel in the uh, chat. John, if you want to unmute yourself and ask, uh, it's like a question for both mayors. I'm just wondering if you're seeing... Um... Well, it's months now, and I'm just wondering if you're seeing any signs that the provincial government is actually learning um, how to react to, the, to these <laughs> unprecedented events better. Well, I'll uh, start um, with the $18.4 million funding announcement. We had uh, ADM Peterson um, attached to the Lytton rebuild. Um, the, the village as well um, would not survive without provincial assistance. Um, so I was pleased that um, you know uh, that they funded the village. So uh, you know to the tune of about seven hundred thousand dollars a year for the next three years, just you know to make up for the lost tax base. Um, Know, and they actually provided uh, you know a, a bit of a additional uh, funding there as well um, so um, otherwise we would you know the village of Lytton would cease to exist because um, your, your operational cost sort of stays the uh, relatively the same but if you only got a third of your taxpayers and no businesses uh, that's very problematic Thank you, Mayor Quine. Yeah, I, I believe, like, I believe right now the province has a willingness to work with us. Um, but moving forward, I don't. Do I think they actually learned anything? To be honest, John, 2017 we had some pretty big fires, and last year I watched as we had even bigger fires, and it was more. In my opinion, it was worse run than it was in 2017. Um, you know, we had to beg for helicopters on our fire. I literally was on the phone at 11:30 at night with uh, with BC Wildfire, begging them for for helicopters before we started losing homes. And 
flooding, we we're not new to flooding, and we got a we got a road warning, uh, a weather advisory for the roads that we were going to have high water. Um, across the border, they were building up levees. They had the Army Corps of Engineers building up levees. They knew this was coming. They knew it was going to be bad. And I don't want to point fingers because that's not going to get us anywhere. But our system is broken. And I honestly don't know if they know how to fix themselves. EMBC has got some major, major issues. They have a revolving door of people that come and go from there. There's nobody with, with a lot of learned or lived experiences anymore. And that's a problem. They don't like to listen to the experts on the ground. They sit in Kamloops or Victoria and they, and they try to tell us what's happening. And they don't, they don't seem to listen. The day that it flooded here, the fire chief in Tulamine was standing in the two-year high water mark. And they said, oh, don't worry, it's only going to get to the two-year. She says, I'm, it's, I'm in the two-year, it's at the five-year right now. Oh, well, that's not what our modeling says. <laughs> you have somebody standing in the water telling you this is happening and everybody ignored it. So, I mean, I can hold out hope that maybe someday they're going to listen to us and they're going to change stuff. But at this Evidence point, based. I don't know if they even know where to start. Yeah. But, you know, the ministries are so big. There's so much bureaucracy in those ministries that getting anything to happen, even if I think the government wanted it to happen, I don't know if they could make it happen in a timely manner that's going to prevent this from happening again in the future, anytime soon anyways. Um, and that's that's my honest opinion. I, I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to come out of this with a whole bunch of changes because it didn't happen in 2017. The last time we had major changes was after the Kelowna fire. And since then, it's kind of been status quo. And they do a little bit here and there, but nothing to the to where it actually changes the things on the ground in my opinion thank you, you can definitely hear the uh, the frustration and and i see in the, the chat lots of people here have been impacted uh, by what we're hearing and and are eager to to find ways that we can maybe help out in some small way and i'm just wondering if we can close off with both of you sharing uh what's the number one takeaway or piece of advice or thought that you would like to leave um, the rest of us elected leaders here with today. I'll start with you, Mayor Polderman. Um, my advice is that we set up the four-man teams to start off, you know, your fire recovery. Uh, my number two piece of advice is to um, you know, is basically to take down all your residents' information as they call. And then my number three piece of advice is that towns should be preparing for a disaster in the neighboring towns uh, so that, you know, when a town evacuates, it's going to a town that's prepared to take them on. Mm -hmm. um, like in our case, there was nowhere to set up an EOC um, you know, we had, there, there was, there's just nothing left. Okay, thank you. And, and Mayor Coyne? There's lots. Um, 
um, <laughs> you know, we we have to plan for the worst. Like, we have to plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, every year, things get seem to get worse and worse for us. Um, if you have the means, then you need to have your own emergency management team. Um, and you need to try to get all those plans in place. Plans, I mean, plans go out the window the minute they're the minute they're uh, implemented. But at least have that that happening. And um, we need to. I think as a as municipalities, especially those of us that have been impacted and those of us watching, we need to we need to speak louder when it comes to these issues with the province. We need them to start listening more um things aren't going to get easier i mean that's that's the plain truth of it it's not going to get easier for any of us so we need to we need to be prepared we need to learn to communicate amongst ourselves better too um during the fires when merit was you know the area around merit was being evacuated i don't know who made the decision but they evacuated those people through to, to chilliwack they evacuated them through our fire <laughs> um and so we had i forget how many people driving through here and they were using the highway highway three up near eastgate as the fire line and they were stopping people up there because they were moving, trying to move equipment around um i had friends that were skitter operators up there and they had cars weaving in and out of their skinners that could have been avoided if we would have known there was, there was people coming our way. Mm-hmm. So we need to start either at the regional district level or through the municipalities communicating that to each other because um, that could have been a horrible situation if that fire would have jumped the, the highway and it's only two lanes up there. It's not a not a big jump. And people were trapped up there when they were trying to escape another fire. So we all need to start communicating better. Our regional districts need to start communicating with each other. And um, and, I, and the province, I think, really needs to start listening to to those of us in these positions who are living these these experiences every day and dealing with it. And I really, really want to see the federal government at this table. Um, climate change is bigger than any one of our municipalities mm-hmm. or regional districts, mm-hmm. and they're the ones with the means to be able to help us. And without them here any meaningful way it's never going to get any better and i just hope that one day somebody up there will figure that out and they'll talk to us thank you guys thank you very much i think uh uh just watching everyone's faces and and, and again seeing the chat um such an impactful presentation i know uh, uh sort of at a loss for words on, on uh, what to say, um, just the, the enormity of it all. And I guess that's uh, probably what's driving up a lot of us to be here is concerned when we see what's happening in Lytton and Princeton and uh, many of us coming closer experience some of the same things in our, our own communities. Um, but it's, it's really helpful and I'm very thankful for both of you um, for sharing with us. I know it, it's not been easy and it's uh, a tough road ahead. And so hopefully we can all stick together and uh, and be that stronger voice that we've talked about with the, with the province and the feds.
Um, so I, I think uh, I'm not seeing any more uh, questions in the chat, just uh, lots of thanks. Um, so uh, yes, just once again from all of us, thank you so much. Um, and I just a, a quick housekeeping reminder, our next discussion will be at April 14th at 11 a.m. PST. And just my hands up to, to both of you for sharing your time with us today. And thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I really um, was listening to this with respect to the like water, like the flooding, right? The, the fact that there's fire smart but not flood smart is a huge gap. Right. You know, so thank you so much for saying that. Also, the whole 14 logging trucks on one field. That's also a huge like takeaway for me. So I am. Um, yeah, really. It's really frustrating with flooding because it's the responsibility of the landowner to prevent flooding from impacting their home. And uh, back in um, the early days of the when the liberal government took office, um, if anybody was around back then, they'll, they'll remember um, Diking was a provincial jurisdiction and, and responsibility at that time. And uh, one of the first cost-cutting measures the uh, Liberals took was, not to dump on the Liberals or anything, but one of the first cost-cutting measures they took was to download Diking onto the local local municipality. And, um, and then they told, we were fortunate, we had a fortunate we had a flood in 95 and, and in 96 they had to rebuild all of our dikes so um we were we were pretty close to being where we needed to be in, in uh was it 2003 i think it was but they told us you had x amount of months or, or whatever to bring all those dikes into compliance, compliance. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and oh and there's no money for that so have fun and they walked away from the table <laughs> You know, and it's, it's it's never gotten any better from there. And it doesn't matter which government's in in office. So flooding has always been a real frustrating point. I mean, I'm vice chair of the regional district, uh, Okanagan Smokemen, and we've been experiencing flooding just about annually for the last I don't know how many years now. Where some places just the water has never actually gone away, and um, you know. There's no, there's, we're not allowed to do preventative stuff, and there's no money for preventative stuff, especially in a regional district because we don't, we're not a diking authority. So there's no, there's nothing we can do to help with that. And you, you really are at the mercy of the province when it comes to anything to do with waterways, and and stopping that water from impacting people's homes and, and livelihoods. So, um, really, really frustrating thing to deal with. At least fires, we have a little bit of you know assistance with fire smart and whatever and um but even then i mean we're 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 limited based on private land around our uh, around our municipalities crown land around our municipalities um you know and whatnot so you, you do have to shake your head sometimes of that as well so um it's too bad robin wasn't here because they've done an amazing job with their fire smart program but their license is right around that municipality and they're able to do that. Our license is halfway between here and uh, Tulane. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't do much for us for fire smart. 
And Tulumine is the community or the village that you said that is like flooding on both sides? Is that yeah. the, yeah. So uh, we are at noon, and uh, I want to respect everyone's time. Um, and Mayor, so I don't want to hold Mayor Coyne and, and Mayor Holderman any longer. But uh, I can keep the chat open for a little while longer if people want to stay and talk. But if if you have to go, uh, please feel free to do so. I, I do see a hand from uh, Councillor Marsh, though, uh, for the people that are wanting to stay on a bit longer. But again, if you have to, to leave, please uh, please do. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> uh, th thank you, Chris. I um, It just struck me, uh, many of us know Josie Osborne from her previous role as mayor. And uh, now she has this new role. It, it seems to me this kind of a talk that we've heard from these mayors would be really valuable for her to sit in on and if she was aware of it and could make it, I'm sure she would. Um, I don't know how many of you have a friendship with Josie that you can text her. Looks like Mayor Coyne does. Yeah, and uh, I certainly can on behalf of Climate Caucus if others don't, but I'm sure many of us do. She's just that kind of person, right? Yeah. So I think I was, it's hard for me not to cry listening to what you've been through and and the frustration of the, the damn senior levels of government. Like, you don't even know where your evacuees went? Like, what? I just can't. Oh, this is far more MPG Crowder. I need to take this. But thank you so much. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll see a couple more hands. Uh, Chris Hambrook. Uh, pardon me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But... Uh, uh, please go ahead. Where did he go? Mute here. There we go. Yeah, I'm a councillor from Golden. I've been on council for, well, since 1996. So a lot of these stories that I'm hearing here you know, with with the taking authority and that sort of thing ring pretty true. And I'm just wondering if, if there are any mayors on here that are part of the BC Mayor's Caucus whether that would be a place to go because that seems to be a little more influential. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but I, I, I wrote that down and I will pass on that note and I can speak to, to my mayor uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, I know well, we're a re resort municipality, so maybe that's where the mayor's caucus is a little more apparent but uh, I'll talk to our mayor as well and see where where that fits because I know he speaks quite highly of Josie Osborne but she's not not there anymore in the municipal affairs you know in, in the um, legislature where she was so mm -hmm. that's unfortunate because she did have you know, a strong tie to the municipal so that's, the, that's about it if I could just jump in and answer that. She was chatting with me recently. She's in charge of water, land, and resources. It's this new ministry, so I would suggest she would be very interested. And she's really interested in unsiloing the provincial government. Thank you. And, yeah. and I yeah. Okay. That's good that others are listening, so we need to... 
every go around UBCM is not the same thing against UBCM. They do good work, but sometimes the wheels go a little bit too slow. I think this is something we need to act on fast. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. And uh, Andrew Fall, would you go ahead, please? Thank you. I was just I, I thought entered my mind when when the discussion came up about you know thinking about where how to how to accommodate residents from neighboring municipalities or areas because you know we often plan for okay our for example we have an evacuation plan so we're we talk you know we have plans of how to get people out or somewhere and i'm thinking you know maybe something local governments could do is is think up or work out kind of mutual aid agreements with neighboring municipalities or neighboring local governments electoral areas regional districts and so on and that's something we might be able to do at the local government level where you would because if you're to say well our residents will go over there you know from the ski might go to parksville it's a different regional district mm-hmm. then you know are we really going to just go there or should we already have an arrangement maybe even there's some funding issues there's there's different you know things that might be able to work out through mutual aid or cost recovery like the fire departments do so that's just throwing that out there as an idea maybe if either or both mayors have thoughts on that, I would be really happy to hear. Sorry, I, yeah, please go ahead. Oh, so, okay, so um, I don't know how many of you guys have your own ESS or how many of you contract mm-hmm. out to Red Cross. Um, one thing we've done really well, um, I won't say we do a lot of things well at the RDOS, but one thing we've done really well is our emergency management uh, um like our ESS part of things. A few years ago, we hired a regional ESS director. Um, but if you have a local, your own local ESS team, one of the things that they're supposed to do is reach out to neighboring municipalities and and create those those relationships. So um, we have in the regional district, we have kind of like a mutual aid agreement or process in place already. So Summerland very often supports us. Vesuvius um, and Oliver will support us, Penticton will support us, and we support each other when we need assistance with ESS. And and that's those those parts where we do the evacuation, right? So when you evacuate somebody, um, if we, if Princeton has to evacuate ourselves, we, like all of us, we will go to Penticton. So Penticton, we have a, a plan in place where we go to Penticton, Penticton will set up beds at the trade and convention center or somewhere and they'll they'll house us there so um i would urge you guys to look into what your what your emergency management plan is and, and what your processes are and um if you're involved in your in your regional district or talk to your mayors and and uh see if your regional district would take on a model like that because that's so helpful to us when we need that ess support regionally we just we can call and like our ESS director here will serve in the regional district EOC as the director of the ESS over there when she's not needed in Princeton. So um, we, we move people around quite often within our regional district to support that. And since this flood, um, we are now, the Pr- Princeton has taken on um, a lot of the roles to support Tulumine and Coleman and people along Highway 3. Um, and anybody up in Eastgate, there's some isolated flooding up there as well. So 
our resiliency center, all of our services are open to all of those people as well, not just our residents. We do have this cooperative approach to trying to service everybody in our in our area, and it's and it's done through that regional approach. So, um, if that's not happening in your regional district, I really strongly mm-hmm. urge you guys to to talk to each other that way and, and make those those bonds. Thank you.